0: And, of course, we have Pastor Jim Lafoon with us. And I've asked Earl. Earl gets to uh, be with Jim, Pastor Jim, quite a bit. And I've asked Earl to go ahead and introduce Pastor Jim for us today. Well. Oh, my gosh, please. Well, good morning, City Life. My name is Earl Smith, Have y'all heard. Or good afternoon. Or evening. Good evening, City Life Church. I get the honor and privilege of bringing up our Uh, speaker, Uh, Pastor Jim LaFoon, and I can honestly list off a lot of things that God has done through him, but I kind of want to go to personal row with this one. My first time encountering Pastor Jim LaFoon, I was a student at Texas State University in this little town called San Marcos, Texas, uh, at the Springs Church, and I was there during a time where I was trying to figure out, did God see me? Was I seen by God? Did he know me? and pastor jim came and he preached at our church and he called me and he prophesied over my life and it was the first time i've heard a prophecy and i've listened to things and it was the first time i heard two things in a prophecy number one i heard the gospel of jesus christ and number two i heard papa's heart for my life for the first time i heard that god saw me and he knew who i was and he used pastor jim to do that so i began this pursuit Of knowing that voice, to hear it every single day of my life. And so I ended up going to this school called the School of Empowerment, which is a vision given to Pastor Jim by God. And we got an opportunity, me and a couple of people, uh, got an opportunity to sit under his teaching along with other pastors. And everything intrigued me, but the one thing that intrigued me was that he was a friend of God. And that concept being a friend of God hit me so deep in my heart and in my life I began to pursue what it looked like to be a friend of God so he's not just a, a a pastor or a prophet he's one that is raising up other prophetic ministers and also he's a great husband to Miss Kathy LaFoon a great father to his children but also a great father to our entire body of every nation so do me a favor open up your heart open up your ears to hear from God and do me a favor and stand on your feet, stand on your feet, and give a round of applause for Pastor Jim LaFoon.
1: Well, all right. Let's look in the Bible. We're at church. Okay. Chris, can I have one more water? If we're rationing those tonight, I need one more anyway. <laughs> Since it's like an encounter service, we're going to look at a very strange passage in the Bible that's doubtful you'll never hear on Sunday morning. We're not going to be in Leviticus on unclean lizards. Turn to the book of Revelation. Okay. Turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 12, in one of the most strangest passages of Scripture. Um, I'm not going to... Stay here long. I'm just going to talk to you a few minutes. I felt impressed with the Holy Spirit to do it. I'm going to speak out open Bible. I've jotted a few little things down. These thoughts are about four days old in my mind. And um, I'm working my way toward the book of Revelation. In case you're wondering where that is, it's the last book in the Bible. All right. And I'm just going to entitle this message, um, Birthquake finding safety and security in a time of birthing. How many of you know that one of the big analogies in Scripture is pregnancy and birth? Like Jesus told his disciples when he was getting ready to, you know, be crucified and rise from the dead, he said, you're going to feel like a woman is going to have a baby. The pain is going to be terrible. But when you see what happened, it's going to be worth it. And, you know, the whole analogy like, It'll come upon you like a labor pains on a woman. And when we get into Revelation 12, this is a hotly disputed passage, and I'm not going to go into what it means because, quite honestly, who knows if anyone even knows. I mean, you can read four different commentators. They have four different thoughts. The best we can tell, the woman here is a, a picture of the church, whether it be Israel in the Old Testament, the church in the New Testament. It's a picture of God's people, and they're birthing something. Um, More than likely, it's a picture of the birth of Christ when it says the child's caught up to heaven. It's a picture of of Jesus being um, not just resurrected, but ascending. Then you find the persecution that came after Christ and all that. So probably if you're looking for an interpretation, most of your pretty kind of evangelical, godly commentators would kind of see it down that line. But how do we apply it that there's nothing that scares the enemy more? than when his, God's people give birth to something. Whether it's raising a godly family, whether it's starting a business that doesn't just take care of you financially but advances the kingdom of God, whether it's coming into a building, whether it's seeing someone birthed into the kingdom of God and discipling them, there's nothing the enemy hates more. Now, so we're going we're gonna to cut through all the symbology and all the typology I'll take a few minutes just to run into it, but I want to I I help you understand. Can I just like to be really plain? When all hell is breaking loose in your life, and you're in lots of pain, and the season is not changing fast, how do you find comfort and security? Where do you go? What do you do? What's happening around you? Let's look at that together and I'm gonna divide this passage into the birth and the battle. And when we come into verse seven and talk about the battle, I'm gonna talk about the battle in the invisible world and the battle in the visible world, and what do you do when you kind of feel stuck between both? Now, how many of you ladies have had babies here? I've I've witnessed some being born, never had one, obviously. And so you may say you kind of look like you're expecting. Keep that to yourself. Okay. So the, the fact of it is, listen to me. This, when a church is growing, when you're building buildings, when you're doing things, and you're growing and you're going to grow more, uh, you're in a season of growth and blessing. Yeah. And it, it's pretty obvious you had to be. All the warfare and battle you face as a church going into this building is a sign of what was going to take place when you got here. And so when a church begins to grow, two things happen. Warf- the warfare level of the church is affected and the welfare of the church is affected. When things grow, how do you lead it? What do you do with it? How do you staff it? How do people belong? That's a whole nother segment I'm not going to talk about. But I am going to talk about when a church is growing and when it's reaching its city and when it's doing things, what happens. Okay? Now, so this great sign appears in heaven. There's a woman clothed with the sun, with a moon under her feet, and on her head, a crown of 12 stars. She's pregnant and was crying out in birth pains in the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns on his head and seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore a child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, the one who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. Her child was caught up to God and to his throne, and the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God in which she was to be nourished 1,260 days. Let me just start by saying, we have this amazing picture of the church, the people of God. Uh, The Bible says she's clothed with the sun, the moon was under her feet. What's that mean? No matter how you feel, you are crowned with the sun and your feet are on the moon. What's that mean? We're over darkness. We know the end of the story. No matter how dark it is in your life, No matter what you came in here facing in Christ, you're going to conquer darkness. We're the only people to ever fight a war and know we're going to win. And so it says she was pregnant and she was crying out in birth pains. And so here is a picture, whether you call it Israel, the people of God, the purposes of God, Mary, whatever. She's pregnant and two things are happening. Now, those of you who've been pregnant and had a baby. There's nothing more vulnerable than transitional labor. There's nothing more vulnerable as you literally feel like you're being torn in pieces on the inside and, and having watched my wife have babies and been there just almost seems like panic and panting and breathing. And if that's not bad enough, imagine a giant dragon standing in the birth canal to kill your baby. At your most vulnerable, at your most pain, and typically, beloved, Typically, when God does something in your life significant, you're wondering about your welfare when all of a sudden there's warfare. There's so much pain in that business, raising that family, building that building, doing that church. And at your most vulnerable moment, when you literally feel like you just can't do it anymore, here comes the enemy to destroy what you're birthing. When you decide, yes, we're going to grow a church, yes, I'm going to make a disciple Yes, I'm going to reach a campus. Yes, my business is also God's business. Yes, I'm going to raise my family God's way. Yes, we're going to build this building. The enemy will do everything in his power to destroy that and stop that. It's one thing to preach about something, one thing to pray about something, one thing to prophesy about it, whole different matter to do it. When you decide we're going to build this building, we're going to reach this city, I'm going to reach my neighbors. I'm going to live my business differently. Not only is what God does to prepare you painful, at that vulnerable moment, the enemy comes, not simply to destroy you, but to destroy what you do, and he fights it. Now, the good news was, the baby, the purpose of God, was caught up. It was taken care of. This building's done. Um, You're filling it once. Are you in two services now, Chris? I think you said, oh, two won't be enough. There'll have to be another. And it sounds exciting tonight, but it does not feel exciting when you're serving more than you ever wanted to and you're not seeing your friends anymore and you don't now don't like the time that when you were drunk and the Holy Spirit said, yes, I'll come to the early service and now you don't like it because you're getting up early and your kids even hate it more. It all sounds good and then it happens. Okay, that's another story though. These kind of things like growth sound a lot better than they feel but they're wonderful. Now, so what about you? It says this, And the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God in which she's to be nourished for 1,260 days. We'll come back to that because that's going to come down later. I won't talk about it now. Now, simultaneously, there's this crazy thing happening in the invisible realm. And your scholars believe this is not like a parenthetical portion goes back to when the enemy tries to overthrow God in heaven. It's probably what happened when Jesus resurrected and just the cosmic battle. Now, one of the things that makes praying and suffering so hard down here is many times it doesn't make sense. Have you ever been in a time of pain that doesn't make sense? It just frustrates you. Here's why you are. Because typically, like me and like all humans, we look at everything in our life through the lens of self. Oh, I can't figure it out. Why is God doing this to me? Why is this happening to me? Like, I can't figure this. When in reality, as you mature in Christ, much of what you suffer is not simply about you. And when you can't figure it out, what it has to do with you, it may be very little. Like, you think of the parents of John the Baptist, decades of barrenness. I mean, Zachariah and Elizabeth, old people, long past menopause. What is God waiting for? Sure, like, Well, you know, maybe we're not good enough parents. Maybe we're not going to be wise enough to raise this kid till seventy. No. It was simply part of a bigger plan, and he could not be born until this time for Jesus to come. Just months apart. What am I saying? If you can't figure out why you're suffering. It may not be about you. Welcome to the kingdom of God. Because while these people were thrashing around in birth pains, in the visible world, in the invisible world, there was a cosmic battle going on. It says there arose a war in heaven. Heaven, Michael, his angels, fighting against a dragon. And the dragon, his angels, fought back. But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. They were thrown down. Now, here's the good news. When Satan attacked heaven, God didn't raise a finger. You go, well, why? Because God's the creator, and the devil's the created. You ever see that Lord of the Rings movie? We're not little hobbits. It's not, like we're, it's not like basically we're duelists. Oh, the devil's in Mordor. I don't know if God can beat him, and if I can't do this, we're doomed. Forget it. You'll never even see God fighting the devil in the Bible out of Genesis 3. He sticks the angels on him. Why? He's God. The devil's nothing. The only people that really fight at this point are the angels and you and I. The angels fight in the invisible. We fight in the visible most of the time. And so many times when you're praying and you're suffering and you're going through all these things, you are part of something beyond your comprehension. And God is using your prayers and using what you're doing to to accomplish things you can't even understand. Now watch this. So the great dragon, he's thrown down. And the Bible goes on to say, and the great dragon was thrown down Um, That ancient serpent who's called the devil that means accuser Satan that means adversary the deceiver He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him and I heard a loud voice in heaven saying now has come the salvation power and kingdom of God the authority of our Christ for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down Who accuses them day and night before God and they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb by the word of their testimony For they love not their lives, even in a death. Therefore, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil's come down to you. In great wrath, he knows his time is short. That's kind of a scary passage. Happy as heaven, the devil don't live there anymore. Too bad for you on the earth. Amen. Now, (laughs) basically, you say, why is the devil so mad? Like, why is he so mad? Because he knows he's losing. You understand that? You know what makes the devil maddest? He knows the end of the story, too. All we're doing is sealing a victory that was won 2,000 years ago and ordained in eternity. His anger, his power, the pain on this earth. But here's his fundamental weapon. The enemy's fundamental weapon has not changed since the garden. To accuse God, to accuse you and the people who love you to the point that you're deceived into believing his accusations are truth. It's just the fact of it. He's the accuser. God doesn't really love you. There's no hope for you. I mean, your parents really didn't want you. This church doesn't see you. What woman would want to marry you? What man would want you? He he accuses and accuses with just enough truth for you to be deceived. You know what deception is? Following a lie like you should the truth. And a lot of what many of you call self-talk and all these thoughts in your mind is not just your old self. It is the enemy lying to you and speaking to you to deceive you. They overcame him by three things, the blood of the lamb. No matter what the devil says to you, Jesus says, you're righteous. You're my son. You're my daughter. If you're born again, that's who he says you are. He says they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, and they didn't love their life enough to quit. Now listen to me. The Bible says your tongue's the rudder of your ship. It's one thing to war with a lie in your mind. It's a whole other thing to speak it with your mouth. I'm no good. There's no hope for me. I doubt God really loves me. I don't belong here. I'll quit. I'll do this. One thing to fight a lie, a whole other thing to speak a lie. The Bible says that those words are the rudder of your ship. In those battles in your mind, it's too hard. You can't make it. Does God really love me? Listen, if you weren't in the middle of God's will, you think the devil would mess with you like this. And there's battle. And there's war. I mean, how many of you know it's just a fight to serve God? Jesus said, in this world you'll have tribulation. That promise always comes true. But I've overcome the world. Now, where's solace? Where do we find it? Like when it's so hard. I I I know Chris and Casey. Just some of the things they faced over the last few years. It's just hard. I know Daniel Morgan. Oh yeah, their churches are growing. Oh, that's that's the good part of the story. But there's a cost. Pain. It's not easy. When we're in the middle of God's will, and either he's building us or we're building something with him, what's the answer? We find it here, and I'll share it with you, Then I'll share it for my own life. When you're battling and God's birthing something, maybe you're fighting for a grandchild. Maybe you're fighting for one of your older kids. Maybe you're in a battle for your spouse. Maybe you're battling an addiction. Maybe you're trying to make disciples reach your campus, start a business. And you feel like, it's when Scott and his wife came up, I said, you've been saying change me, it's time for your season to change. Well, what if it ain't time for yours to change? What if there's still more pain? What do you do? When I went to the back of the church, I was praying, Lord, that there's a lot of pain in here tonight. I mean, I came to the end of last year. I, I hit so much pain. I was over in the Middle East, getting, heading toward the Syrian border. I was in so much pain, my joints stopped working. I was just stiffening up, literally, with pain. So much crisis, like so many painful situations, I could not compute. And God visited me and touched me. I mean, I, I, I can carry so much stress of crisis. Feet go numb, can't feel my lips. I was in the emergency room, and God says, go home. You're wasting your time. I said, what do you mean I'm wasting my time? You're up there. I'm down here. I'm hurting. I mean, you never have those kind of conversations Lord, hey, I know it's fine up there. I'm down here. He goes, hey, it's just stress. Go home. So I witnessed to the nurses, went home, and got better. But life's hard sometimes. (laughs) And so I came to the end of last year. I go, Lord, I'm surprised. He said, well, what are you surprised about? I said, I'm surprised about how bad this year ended. He goes, well, why would that surprise you? I told you in the Bible how it would be. Okay. I go, how's next year going to be? He goes, just as bad. And I got to tell you, it's exactly right. I can't remember a worse six months. I mean, beloved, January, February, March, April, May. Incomprehensible. And he began to teach me then. And I don't mean sin. I mean just If I was to give them to you, you'd think, whoa, you're beginning to teach me. These next five, seven, eight minutes or whatever I have left, let me show you this. When you're hurting, what does God do? I want to talk about the place of safety. And I want to talk about it in two ways. First, this way. When the dragon in verse 13 saw that he had been thrown down to the earth he pursued the woman who had been given birth to the male child. I hate that. Like that means when you birth something he doesn't like, if he can't destroy it, guess what? He's going to come chase you. He really is. And the woman was given two great wings. Now there's a lot of Old Testament parallels here. It says in Exodus nineteen, I I brought you I put you on eagle's wings and brought you to my south. And you find the same thing, you know, Pharaoh came to destroy him, all these chariot armies and they were out in the wilderness and a lot of parallels. But in the Old Testament we wrote on wings, in the New Testament Isaiah looks toward that. We're given wings. The Bible says, if you'll wait on me, if you'll spend time with me In my word, in my presence, hearing my voice, you'll literally mount up with wings. You'll run and not be weary. You'll walk and not faint. I'll carry you. Now, it starts out really good. But the woman was given two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent. I like that part. May I just tell you there's a time to fight and a time to flee. And you're talking about someone that fights all the time. Multiple countries, multiple places. But there's a time when life and war is overwhelming. And if you don't learn to flee into the arms of Christ and his presence, you'll be worn down and worn out. But this is what's unusual. But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness. Wilderness. We don't like that thought. I'm into wilderness. In the wilderness, to the place where she was to be nourished for a time, times a half a time. The serpent poured water like river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away. But the earth came to the help of the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went to get her kids. Okay, think about this. How many of you don't like the thought of the wilderness, just wave at me. What is the wilderness? It's a season in your life where your primary source of nourishment is divine. That means in your circumstances, there's not a lot to nourish you. Maybe in your marriage, there's not a lot to nourish you just not a lot to nourish you. And we don't like the wilderness because it reduces us to living on divine nourishment. Not a lot to feel, not a lot to stroke us. But guess what in the wilderness? The wilderness is the place where God destroys all your enemies. God took him into the wilderness, made him march back to pin him at the Red Sea and wiped out their enemies. In the wilderness, they had the pillar of fire by night. In the wilderness, they had the cloud by day. In the wilderness, manna fell from heaven because there was no other food. In the wilderness, water came out of rocks. Two and a half million people drinking and all their livestock, it kept them alive. In the wilderness. And so there are times when the enemy, and I don't understand this, when God will bring you into one of those situations, it's so beleaguered that your only form of nourishment left is God himself. But in that climate, that which would normally destroy you cannot touch you. The ground swallowed the water. And many times when you feel pinned by life, it's in that impossibility where you find God that you also find The very things that have chased you and pursued you are destroyed as well. The wilderness gets a bad reputation. I'm in the wilderness better than being in Egypt, better than being enslaved, better than being bound in that relationship where you're wounded and shattered. The wilderness scares us because when we're reduced to God, it's scary. They woke up every morning realizing if manna doesn't fall, I'm dead. If water doesn't come from the rock, we're dead in three and a half days. Now, many times our greatest times of war are also times in the wilderness. Why is that? Because there's something in the wilderness by its very nature The same climate that reduces us to God is also the perfect climate to swallow up the attack and the plan of the enemy. Now, let's go a little deeper, then I'll be done. This is the first year I've had the flight, the thoughts of fighting and fleeing. I mean, I fought for dying children. said my wife's cancer had spread to her brain. She was done. I've had the, the doctors tell me you've totally destroyed your health, quit the ministry. I've held a dying son in my arms and had him, God return him back to me. Um, huh. But this was the first year that God really began to teach me, son, this too much for you. I've been a Christian since eight years old. I started preaching at 17. I've risked my life for the gospel. I've lived in a war zone. Been there. Than that. But this year was different. And for a year, it was the drone of pain. I don't mean, the pain of sin. Or thank God my wife, we're still in love. Love is blind. Thank God. I'm glad she don't really see me like I am. We still like one another. But this was hellish pain on every side. And the Lord told me in January I can remember talking to Daniel in January. He was in a very similar place. We had this talk. And so he said, son, it's too much for you. If you don't find a new place for me, Jim, all your tongues and all your Christian maturity and all those things, this isn't gonna go away for a while. One of my great intercessors in Africa, I have 51 people that pray for me around the world every month. They're amazing. I should have listened to him. And the Psalm that became so real for me is the Psalms I'll read and close to you and I'll help, we'll tie this up. Psalms 57, David is in the cave and he's lost everything. Verse one, be merciful, O God, be merciful to me for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings, I'll take refuge till this storm of destruction passes me by. Here's what the Lord told me. He said, son, he said, you've walked with me a long time and I have. I've been Christian a long, long time. And I worship, I read the Bible, I move in the gifts of the Spirit, I pray, read my Bible every day. He said, He said, When's the last time you asked me for mercy, Jim? I said, It's been a long time. I asked for grace. I asked for he said, Jim, you need mercy. And when you look in the book of Psalms, it uses this metaphor of coming under eagle's wings. You've seen it before, or coming under wings, sorry. It can mean one or two things depending on the context. It can mean literally even as a mother eagle takes her chicks under wings, coming under wings, or it can be speaking of the great wings of the cherub on the Ark of the Covenant. In Psalms 57, that's what it's talking. Here's what David's saying. I need mercy. I've lost everything. I've moved my parents to Moab. My family's been taken from me. My kids have been taken from me. I'm hunted like a dog. Have mercy on me. And bring me under the wings of the cherub to the mercy seat and protect me until this storm goes. You know, when the high priest went before God once a year, had no high priestly robes, came in white linen to the mercy seat. And there's a place in God when your circumstances aren't changing when you feel like you're looking death in the face, when there's no nourishment left in your circumstances, when it's hard, that God's just so filled with mercy. He said, son, if you ask me by my mercy, I'm going to hide you. David said, hide me in the shadow of your wings. Hide me in your mercy. And there are places in God's presence where he'll bring you. Places in his love, in his care. It's not a matter of how long you've been saved or how much you know, or are you this or are you that. It's not about being someone that's prophetic. It's about just being a kid, a child of God desperate. And he said, you can't fight. You're too tired. Let me hide you. And he engulfed me in his presence for a number of months. I got worried because I couldn't feel pain anymore. I wondered if somehow I'd psychologically detached, but I hadn't. His presence surrounded me. I didn't fight. Just let him love on me. He refreshed me. He touched me. He protected me. I walked through my wilderness the vile spew of the enemy's demonic power dried up. And he brought me to victory. You great people. Amazing church. So proud of what God's done here. <laughs> what a story you're going to have in heaven. But if you're in pain tonight, and a lot of you are, there's a place of mercy for you. Solace for you. Security. What if he doesn't get better? She doesn't get better? My finances don't get better. There's still a place of mercy. If you need fresh security in God tonight, wave at me. Put your hands up. There we go. Come touch this church. We thank you for them. We ask your blessing on them.
0: Touch them by your presence. Pastor.